0: There's various reasons why a person may hide in the woods. For hunters, they'll look for the cover of nature to stay undetected by their prey. For the casual outdoorsman, it's a bit different, but the solitude of the wilderness is what's appealing, more hiding away from the rest of the world. But today, of course, on Scary Mysteries, we have some extreme cases for you, and I'm talking decades in the forest, for different reasons, some of which are pretty dark and disturbing. Thanks for tuning in guys. Hope you enjoy this one. Here are 5 people who hid in the woods for a very long time. Number 5, Hiru and Noda. Soldiers are trained to carry out their commands regardless of the circumstances. Whether it's pouring rain or not, amidst the scorching heat or through the coldest of winters. These men and women of arms are bound to follow the words of their commanders. Hiru Onoda is a soldier of honor, but what makes him special is that he took his commands to the extreme. Born in Wakayama, Japan, Onoda joined the Japanese Imperial Army in 1942 during World War II, where he was trained as an intelligence officer. Young and bold, he was sent to the Philippine island of Labang, where, along with three other soldiers, engaged in guerrilla warfare against the enemy. And so, there they were, on a lonely island, following their orders. And then, just weeks after they arrived, the US dropped a nuclear bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and Japan conceded their defeat, thus marking the end of World War II in 1945. But a few people were forgotten about. Inoda and his fellow soldiers weren't briefed about this new update, and so, following their orders to the T, the Japanese men continued to carry out their mission of wreaking havoc along the island. They did so by attacking those whom they thought were the enemy. Police officers, members of the Philippine army, the local farmers whom they thought as allied sympathizers weren't spared as well. Disappearing back into the woods to fight another day, Anoda and his comrades relied on the natural resources available in the jungle to survive. Lots of coconuts and bananas. For protein, they hunted wild boars mainly, but other animals as well. They often stole rice and other root crops from local farms, waiting for the day to come for their commanding officers to come and get them. This went on for some time, and eventually, the effort to capture the phantom troopers further intensified. Consequently, Anoda's men either surrendered, were captured, or killed but not him. The last man standing, the final holdout of the Imperial Japanese Army, Hiru never stopped carrying out guerrilla attacks on civilians and authorities. He used everything he could muster, and despite the crude weapons he managed to make, the loyal soldier surprisingly was able to win skirmishes against Philippine soldiers who were sent out to hunt him down. Incredibly, 30 years went by, it was 1974, and Hiru still held his ground out there. Through all this time, his tale of loyalty and bravery eventually reverberated back home. And so, in that year, one daring Japanese adventurer named Norio Suzuki decided to travel to Labang to find his long-lost fellow countrymen. And he found him, and he told him about the situation. That the war had ended 30 years ago. Still, Hairu, blinded by his unwavering devotion to his duty and most likely suffering some sort of issues from being isolated most of his life, refused to believe and surrender. Eventually, though, he told Norio that he'd lay his arms down only if his commanding officer ordered him to do so. Upon hearing this, the Japanese government wasted no time to track down the very man that Onoda would listen to and brought him to the Philippines. And sure enough, as soon as he saw his commander, the soldier stood at attention with his trusty but severely worn out rifle. Former Major Yoshimi Tanaguchi, who had already gone on to a career as a bookseller, had then officially relieved him of his duty. Hairu also surrendered to the Philippines who then pardoned him of his crimes. He went back home and was welcomed there as a hero. Finding it hard to acclimate himself, though, to modern society, the ex-soldier decided to move to Brazil and set up a farm. He passed away peacefully in 2014 at the age of 91, but his legend continues to live on. Number 4. Christopher Knight It was actor Jim Carrey who once said, solitude can be very dangerous. And what he meant by that is, once you realize just how peaceful and calm life can be when living alone, it can become an addiction. And Christopher Thomas Knight was a man who knew this all too well because he lived a life of isolation, not just for a few weeks or months, but for decades. Known as the North Pond Hermit, Knight gained notoriety for living alone in the woods of central Maine for nearly 30 years. And anyone that knew him could see it coming. As a child, he showed solitary tendencies. He rarely spoke to anyone in his neighborhood, and even his family found it hard to get a conversation out of him. So, at 20 years old in 1986, the young man seemed to have had enough of society and the way it was run. One day, he abruptly quit his job as a technician at a Massachusetts factory. Shortly after that, he left his home in Fairfield, Maine, without saying goodbye to anyone, not even to his parents, and disappeared. But knowing how he was, his family never opted to report him missing, because deep down they knew he just had to get away. And so even though he brought nothing with him except for a few survival tools and supplies, For the next 27 years, Knight lived in complete isolation in the North Pond area of Maine's Belgrade Lakes. And nothing could deter him from his commitment to shunning society. Not even the harsh Maine winters, which could dip as low as minus 25 degrees at times. A self-taught but nonetheless highly capable survivalist, Christopher single-handedly built a primitive campsite deep in the forest. Sustenance was no problem, as he knew quite well how to live off the land. But the reason we all know him is because eventually he started stealing food, clothing, and other supplies from nearby cabins and campsites. This he would only do when he was really desperate. He made sure to only take what he needed and nothing more. He also never harmed anyone. Truly, though, his ability to survive in the wild for so long was nothing short of a remarkable feat. Aside from his extensive knowledge in surviving, he was also adept in using the terrain to make himself virtually undetectable. In all that time, Knight had spoken to another person only once. This was a hiker who accidentally stumbled upon his camp, and after that incident, he consequently moved out and made another. The camper's eventual full discovery happened in 2013 at the age of 47 years old when he was caught stealing from a nearby summer camp. Authorities were called to arrest the stowaway, who was then charged with burglary and theft. But beyond his rather petty crime, it was Christopher's incredible story of survival and isolation that captured the country's attention. Many were fascinated by his ability to survive for so long in the wilderness, let alone the extreme solitude. His tale has since been the subject of several books, documentaries, and news feature articles while most of us find comfort in the company of other people. Clearly, other people like Chris prefer the silence and peace that only the isolation of the woods can offer. Number three, the Rabinowitz family. It was in the 1930s when the Nazis began their occupation of Europe. As part of a brutal process called liquidation, Hitler's forces sent more than a million Jewish people to live and work in fenced-off communities we now refer to as the ghettos. As the war raged on, most of those living in the ghettos were killed, but some 25,000 of them escaped and managed to hide away, most of them choosing to live in the woods. The majority of these people never made it out, but a few survived, including the Rabinowitz family. The Rabinowitz clan consisted of Father Morris, Mother Miriam, and daughters Rochelle and Tanya. Before being taken, the family had lived peacefully in the small town of Zettel in Poland. But everything was reduced to ashes, including their small shop, when Hitler's forces swept through the country and began persecuting what they considered to be their enemy. The family experienced firsthand the horrors of World War II, And they did what they had to in order to survive, praying that somehow they could find a way out. Well, salvation came eventually when fighters from the Soviet Union began to make their move against Germany. Chaos ensued around the area of the camp they were in, and knowing they were mere feet away from the thick foliage of the countryside, the Rabinowitzes, along with other Jewish tribes, decided to make a run for it. In August of 42, Morris dragged his family into the Bavarian forest to seek refuge. Weather was initially not a problem. It was still summer when they made the escape. Over months later, things began to take a wicked turn when winter hit and the temperatures plummeted below zero. Because of this, as well as the fact that there was no food or proper clothing to keep them warm, many of the other families who fled with the Rabinowitzes weren't able to survive. Everyone had to keep on the move constantly, staying one step ahead of the Nazi army, who could come through at any moment. If the elements didn't get them, many of the surviving families were recaptured. And so for two full years, the escapees managed to hide themselves from the military forces, all the while scavenging for food and finding shelter and medical supplies where they could. Then in July of 1944, the Red Army finally took control and liberated the forest from which the Rabinowitzes and others had holed up in. All in all, many were captured and few survived, but today the descendants of the Holocaust survivors, like the Rabinowitz family, are honored by their families for the strength and resilience that they showed in the face of unimaginable hardship and persecution. Number 2. Malcolm Applegate You know, sometimes, we all want to get away, but most of the time, we just suffer in silence until the feeling passes. But for Malcolm Applegate, when life got too troublesome, he didn't ignore those feelings, and he just bolted. It's actually kind of nice knowing that that's always an option. The now 67-year-old shared that his story all began when he met his would-be wife in Eastbourne, UK. The two married in Birmingham, where they then lived together for about three years. Things were going fine and life was good for a while. However, like so many of us, problems eventually crept into the relationship when Malcolm began to pour more hours into his work. Long before they met and got married, Mr. Applegate was already a very dedicated gardener. He'd been on the job for almost 30 years, and because of his exemplary work... He became more and more in demand. In his own words, he explained, the more work I took on, the angrier my wife got. It then got to a point where her incessant nagging and controlling behavior had gotten out of hand, so Applegate decided to leave the marriage, and he did so without saying a word to anyone, not even his family. He set out on his bike to make the 120-mile trek from his home in Birmingham. Along the way, things got a little complicated when his bike got stolen, but he was determined and finished the journey on foot. He arrived in southwest London, where he camped in a thick wooded area near Kingston, and there, for five whole years, Malcolm lived peacefully. He made a living by maintaining the gardens of nearby homes including a local community center for the elderly. It was through a fellow runaway that Applegate heard about a homeless shelter in Amas Greenwich. He then decided to move on and went there with the intention to offer volunteer work. There, he further found more joy in his profession as he continued to do what he always loved doing. For an entire decade, there wasn't a single person from his past life that had any idea where Malcolm was. That was until someone encouraged him to get in touch with his sister. This he did by writing a letter to his sibling who immediately phoned him up to at least hear from him firsthand that everything was okay. The main takeaway, ultimately from that conversation, was that he said he couldn't be any happier in his decision to run away in order to get what he called a second chance at life. Number one. Otto Wolf and Family. The horrors of the Holocaust resonated on millions of individuals and families throughout Europe, North Africa, and even Asia, each having their own unique experience and stories. And this one from a Jewish boy is nothing short of being extraordinary, as it shows how our human instinct plays a pivotal role in our survival. In June of 1942, Otto Wolf a Czech-Jewish teenager witnessed how he, his family, and neighbors hardly escaped from an assembly center in Olomouc, Moravia. At that time, the Nazis were rounding up everyone who were identified as Jewish. They were then supposed to be scheduled for deportation to a concentration camp. Horrified by the things that happened, young Otto channeled his trauma by keeping a diary, and he began writing when he and his family went into hiding in the woods. Based on the details of his entries, the wolves and those with them endured some of the most grueling ordeals in order to avoid persecution. In order to avoid detection, they always had to stay on the move. So they moved throughout the forest, making temporary makeshift shelters, knowing that they needed to be able to run at a moment's notice whenever danger was coming their way. Otto's diary revealed that during their hiding, they had a local helper who would bring them supplies like food, clothing, and tools. Along with this, they were also given some outside information to keep them updated on what was happening with the war. But the Wolf family was never fully able to trust this outsider, because many individuals and families were consequently discovered and killed by the Nazis with the help of their collaborators. Because of this, they decided it would be better to move out and abandon their hideout, and so once again they were on the run. Throughout all this, Otto had written at least a thousand entries in his diary, and would later on give a clear glimpse of what it's like to live a life of constant fear. In his October 17, 1942 entry, during the height of the war, Otto told about a close encounter with people whom they feared would give up their location. On that day, he and the others noticed a person, a forester as he called it, walking around their shelter. They thought the man would go along on his way, and he did, but later that day, they saw yet another forester making rounds in the area, so the first man had talked. Otto wrote, We therefore decided to pack up all our things and go. The wolves couldn't exactly tell if the foresters were actually looking for signs of people hiding in the woods or just simply scanning the place. Regardless, though, the family couldn't risk it. Given the situation, they decided to gather what little they had, erase all signs of their existence, and escape that very night. The stress of knowing that their safety was totally uncertain was probably one of the worst feelings anyone could experience. Otto's last diary entry is dated April 13, 1945. Five days later, he was captured and arrested, and he was shot by the Gestapo two days after that on April 20th. Back then, his family did not know of his fate, but one of his siblings thought of keeping his diary up to date just in case he would return. Sadly, though, he never did. So there you go, guys. There were five people who hid in the woods for a very long time. Some chose to, some were forced to. It's interesting to hear all the stories nonetheless. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please check out more of our content. Remember, you can always check us out on Patreon if you want exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. That's at patreon.com slash scary mysteries. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hope you have a good day, and I'll see you soon.